I really feel it's important that we pray right now. Um, I just feel that the topic that we're going to be talking about this morning is very critical, and I just really sense that uh, we need to pray. So, Father, we just pray right now, God, that, Lord, you would be glorified in the midst of this message. Father, we pray, God, that our hearts would be so attuned to what you're saying to us this morning. And, Father, when we hear about the topic, I pray that our hearts and our minds would not automatically tune out. But, Father, that we would have a willingness to receive the word that you want to set deep into our spirits. Father, I pray that as we tackle this topic, I pray that it would not be limited in our minds thinking, oh, that doesn't apply to me, because, Father, it touches every single one of us. And so, Lord, we just pray this morning that you would have your way, that your spirit would move deep into where it needs to go, and that you would be glorified above all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Pastor Jack wanted to remind you that he's going to be back this following this coming Sunday, and we're going to start our new series called Characters Welcomed. And uh, what's really great about this series is it's actually going to go along with our 40-day corporate fast as we keep going through it, so we just want to remind you of that. But I have a strong confession that I want to make, <clears throat> so you might want to get out your pen so you can write down the juicy gossip. <laughs> I have a strong confession to make. I hate fasting. I know that doesn't sound super spiritual coming from a pastor, but that's just fact in my life. And let me explain a little bit more. I really like food. (laughs) And um, fasting and food just really don't mix together too well. And especially with me fasting and no food really, really doesn't mix well at all. (laughs) Um, I get very grouchy. I get very ornery. And uh, even my wife can tell when I'm fasting. Uh, God bless her. But I, I really love the freedom that I have that I, if I want a glass of milk and a chocolate chip cookie, I can just go and have a glass of milk and a chocolate chip cookie. If I'm in the mood for a Subway sub, I love the freedom that I have that I can just mosey down to Subway and order up what I want. I, I experienced my first real fast when I was preparing to be a pastor. I had never fasted before my whole entire life. I figured food is what God had given us as a main staple to live, so I wanted to make sure I was being in obedient, living in obedience to that. <laughs> but uh, when I was preparing to uh, train as a pastor, I remember our director coming in and he told us, he said, okay, everyone, you're going to have your first fasting retreat. Now, you have to understand, the first word that I heard was the word retreat. I did not hear the word fast. And immediately I began to imagine, we're going to go hiking and we're going to go camping and we're going to sleep in cabins and ride horses and shoot archery because I'm an outdoors guy. And I was all excited. So I'm like, yeah, guys, man, I am pumped about this retreat. And everybody's looking at me like, are you crazy? And I say, yeah, I can't wait to get out there in the wilderness. Oh, it's going to be so awesome. Well, as we get closer to the date, our director sits us down and he said, okay, I want to remind you that on this fasting retreat, we are going to fast for straight 24 hours with only juice and water. I'm sorry, what? And then on top of that, every time you would actually eat a meal, such as breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you'll actually supplement that with prayer and reading the word. Huh? All I heard was retreat. And now all of a sudden he says fasting retreat. I didn't understand that this fasting retreat meant that I was going to abstain from food for 24-hour period and allow my spirit to be fed with the word and prayer. 
since that day, it changed my life a lot. And now I spend time fasting because I realize that it's so important and it's so critical. You know, for years I was never taught about this paradoxical lifestyle of fasting because I never understood why, you would on, why on earth you would decide to give up food to talk to God when you can already hear God when you're eating your hamburger at Wendy's. So I could never understand this. So I asked my mentor one time and I said, hey, I said, I, Dave, I have a question for you. I said, you're always talking about fasting. I said, you say you fast here, you fast there, a couple days here and there. Why do you fast? And this is what Dave said to me. He said, we choose to fast to become weak in the natural so that we can receive strength from the Holy Spirit. And again, I just couldn't wrap my mind around it because fasting requires sacrifice. And there is nothing natural about sacrifice to us. That's why I couldn't wrap my mind around this whole concept. The more I've journeyed with Jesus, I have soon learned that voluntary weakness is a catalyst. Voluntary weakness is a catalyst. You see, there's something that happens when we choose to abstain for a period of time without food, and we decide to supplement that time with prayer and the word. It's though as we're in this vehicle, like a Ferrari, And we immediately go from 30 miles an hour in our relationship with Jesus right up to 90 miles an hour within a few seconds. Now, you got to understand, fasting is not a formula. So please don't go out of here thinking like, wow, you know, this is going to take care of everything and all my problems because that's not the case. But see, fasting is a catalyst for experiencing more of the presence and more of the power of Christ. I found out that the more I would fast, the more I would encounter more of the presence of Jesus And the more I would begin to encounter more of his power in different avenues of my life. But here's the great thing, is that fasting is for every follower of Jesus, but it's with a purpose. When I use that term follower of Jesus, what I mean is that if you have confessed with your mouth and you have chosen to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life and that he is your savior, then you are a follower of Jesus. And so he gives us this avenue that is very important as a discipline in any follower of Jesus' life. Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and just whisper to them and say, fasting. Now turn to him again and say, I'm going to fast. (laughs) Some of your lips are on lock and key right now. (laughs) I didn't hear what he said. Now I want you to understand, the subject and the topic of fasting, we could talk about for days and hours, I'm sure, because of all the material that's out there. But I want to highlight some specific points today and leave you hungry for the rest that during this 40-day fast, you will find yourself going deeper and wanting to know more about this lifestyle. But I want to let you know that it's important because in the next couple days, starting on January 11th on a Monday morning, this church body will engage in a 40-day corporate fast where we will choose to abstain from food and live a lifestyle of juice and water and prayer in the word to experience more of God's presence and more of his power. And so we want to encourage you that if you have never fasted before, then do a Daniel fast with us. And if you have fasted a Daniel fast, we're going to ask that you would do a complete fast with us. And if you want to know what those terms are, (laughs) you can simply go online to our website at Erie First, and all of our fasting guides and manuals will be there that you'll be able to download And if you need something to put into your hands, we'll have a few copies available next Sunday out at our West Service Center. But this is so critical. This is such a critical time for us 
And we want to encourage you to participate in this fast. But let's be candid for a moment. Can't that word fasting scare us a little bit? Seems a little unapproachable, a little scary, because we all have thoughts when we hear that word. When you just turn to your neighbor, you were, you were no problem thinking like, I'll just whisper the word fasting. But when you said, I'm going to fast, I guarantee you there was hesitation within your gut. Not within your mind, but within your gut, because that's what we feed with food. Because it's scary to us. We have all of these images in our mind of what fasting looks like. We think that when we go on a, on a, a daily fast, that if we choose to fast for a day, we're going to be nothing but skin and bones when we come back the next morning. We have all these concepts of the Old Testament and what it says in the Old Testament when these guys would fast, that they would wear little sackcloths and put ashes on their head. And you're afraid you're going to come home and find your spouse in the corner going like this. You know, and that's not the case. That's not the case at all. <laughs> It's one of the simplest disciplines for a follower of Jesus, but one of the most complex in nature. I look at Jesus, and uh, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time sometimes just understanding that he was man because he was fully God. And when I look at that scripture in Matthew where it talks about how he went into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and he fasted, he abstained from food, and all he drank was water. And I thought, man, you know, this guy has a pretty good handle on fasting. Later on in the scriptures, as we read a little further, we find that Jesus encounters some of his followers and they were trying to cast a demon out of a young child. And they couldn't do it. And they come back to Jesus and they say, Jesus, how come we couldn't do this? And Jesus simply said, oh yeah, guys, by the way, yeah, that comes through prayer and fasting. See, that's important in our lives because Jesus wouldn't have said it if it wasn't there and we didn't need to apply it. But I want us to explore the text a little further this morning because tucked away in the passage of Scripture, we encounter a moment in time where Jesus is being questioned about this lifestyle of fasting. So I want to encourage you to either turn in your Bibles, look on your outline, or look on the screen at Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 14. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Awkward. <laughs> Here you got John the Baptist's followers. They somewhat start to grill Jesus on his fasting etiquette. And Jesus gets a little messy with the situation for two reasons. Because we have to understand what was going on here at this moment. See, in the Jewish culture, if you were a good little Jewish boy, you would be fasting according to the appointed times and seasons and festivals that they had. And according to these scriptures, we see that at this time, Jesus' followers weren't doing that. And then the Pharisees in that day and age, who, who felt that they were a little more high up on the Christian level that we like to think there is, but there really isn't, because at the foot of the cross, it's all equal ground. But the Pharisees felt that fasting once a week wasn't good enough. It wasn't holy enough. So they needed to fast two to three times a week. So when Jesus steps in onto the scene of the party and they begin to ask him about his fasting etiquette, and he gives them this whole term about bridegroom and mourning, that really gets messy. Because that's not what they've been taught this whole time. His response to the disciples states otherwise. 
because there was confusion. See, they understood the term bridegroom because you always associated that with marriage. They understood the term mourning because you always associated that with fasting. But what just happened here? When Jesus decides to marry the two words of bridegroom and mourning together, all encompassed in that word fasting, well, that changes everything. But why? Fasting tenderizes and exposes our hearts. Fasting tenderizes and exposes our hearts. See, there's something that takes place when we fast. When we choose to fast in voluntary weakness, just bear with me here. When we choose to fast in voluntary weakness, what happens is, is our hearts become exposed to the Father. And we're like a piece of meat. And this is what our heart, you could say, looks like spiritually. This nice piece of meat that looks so delicious and so perfectly cut but there's a problem with this meat. It's hard. Sure, I could take this out right now and I could throw it on the grill and cook it up or I could put it in the oven and have it with some nice seasoning and pull it out and give it to you. Hungry yet? And uh, it would taste good. But at the same time, it would still be hard. There would be a toughness to it. And you see, what happens is, is when we decide to live a lifestyle of voluntary weakness, what happens is, is our heart gets exposed to Christ. And what he does is he begins to tenderize it. He begins to take his word and he begins to take his spirit and he begins to take his voice and he just begins to hammer away at it. And he goes to our heart and he just begins to hit it over and over and over. And see, when you take a steak and you tenderize it, what happens is you begin to split the fibers so that when you put it into that perfect marinade that tastes so good, it seeps deep down into those fibers where it really needs to get to. Because, see, you could pour that marinade on that steak and not tenderize it at all. And, yeah, you'll get a little bit of flavor, but you're not going to get the fullness of it. You see, as followers of Jesus, it's very simple for us to eventually be subjected to a heart of apathy and dullness. And see, when we don't give ourselves to a lifestyle of continuous fasting and prayer, we enter into that place of spiritual apathy. And our hearts become hardened. And we can't receive the marinade of the Spirit. And sure, we say, yeah, God, oh, it's so good to be in the presence of God. But see, we're not getting the fullness of it. But when we choose to live a fasted lifestyle, we put our heart before God and we say, here's the mallet. Do what you need to do. And he begins to marinate our heart with his spirit. And the more I fast, the more I realize it can't be a guilt-driven motive. It has to be voluntary weakness. See, that word voluntary means to just give up freely. No one's forcing you. No one's pushing you to do it. The lifestyle of self-denial increases our ability to encounter more of God's affection and more of his splendor. I love that song that the worship team was singing not too long ago about how, you know, we were talking about God and the holy of holies. Let me tell you what, if you want God to really tenderize your heart and really come to a place of understanding his splendor, I challenge you during this 40-day fast to spend some time med meditating on Revelation chapter 4 because that is our destiny as followers of Jesus. 
We know that if we have committed our lives to Christ, we know that our, our earthly vessel, these things that we call life, these things we call our body, will not last forever. And we know that our final destination will be to be with the Lord Jesus. And so if you want to get a heads up as to where you're headed, I suggest that you re- re- uh, meditate on Revelation chapter 4. But there's something about this facet lifestyle that draws Jesus in. It's interesting that Jesus is drawn in by it, but we're not too excited about it. We find that he introduces this bridal terminology that I talked about a moment ago in Matthew 9. That word mourn, underline that word mourn because that's an important word. And I want to challenge you during this 40 days that you'll meditate on this word because it has significant meaning. That word mourn in the Greek is called pentheo. And what it actually means, it means to lament as being lovesick or being wounded by love. The picture of it is two spouses that are torn and drawn apart and there's a barrier between them that they can't do anything about. And they're yearning and they're loving and they're wanting to so be in each other's presence that they've been wounded by what they've currently had. And so Jesus drops in this word mourn and combines it with fasting and he says, when the bridegroom leaves being him, there will come a day you will mourn. And your response will be to fast out of a longing for more of him. Author Donald Miller states this in one of his books, the writers of the Bible seem to want to go and be with Christ the way the most intimate and passionate lovers, when separated, desire their reunion. Fasting is not a formula based on performance but it's out of a longing for our lover, Jesus. And he finds it so irresistible. So where do we start? Where do we start with this fasting deal? I eat a couple vegetables, drink some juice, say a couple prayers. What do I do? I want to challenge you to start by romancing Jesus. That's the simplest place to start. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's, let's uh, go back to dating 101. All right. For some of you, you know, some of you are married, some of you are in a relationship, some of you are hoping to be in a relationship. One of the first things that you do, obviously, when you start to get to know the person you want to be with, is you begin to woo them. I like that word, woo. Look at your partner and say, woo. Not woo-hoo, woo. You begin to woo them. Because you want to show them your commitment. You want to express your feelings, and one of those feelings is through words. And see, when we start to romance Jesus, we do it through our words. I'm a firm believer that we have the mind of Christ. Are you in agreement with me? Shake your head yes, we'll keep going. Okay, great. I'm a firm believer that we have the mind of Christ. Which means, if we have the mind of Christ, we have a greater span of creativity in our minds than what just is right here. Human wise. So I believe that we don't have to be stuck to the same old descriptions that we get into that rut of, of who and how we describe Jesus. Let me give you an example of a rut. Maybe when you enter into your prayer time, so is Jesus, you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are my rock. You are my shield. Now understand those are important things. And yes, Jesus loves those. But we got to get out of the box and we got to woo the heart of God. God, man, you are so brilliant in the way you look. 
oh man, what it must have been like when you came down on that mountaintop on Sinai and all in your glory, wrapped in that thunder and wrapped in that lightning and, and your voice. Oh, the, the majestic whispers that, that are there. Oh, if you could just, oh, if you could just breathe on me with those whispers in this time together. That's romancing Jesus. That's romancing your lover, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Where else do we go? Where do we go from there? Well, I want to encourage you to journal the relationship. Journal the relationship. You know I'm a firm guy in journaling. And Pastor John last week talked about journaling as well. But there is something that happens spiritually when we pen the words of heaven onto paper. There is something that takes place. And you know, journaling is simple. It's just by putting down what you're feeling and sensing God is saying to you in your heart. And I guarantee you that when you spend time and you get away and you say, I'm going to commit to abstaining from food and just drink water or just drink juice and I'm going to pray and I'm going to listen, I'm going to read the word of God, I guarantee you God's going to start speaking to you. There's times when I'm with God and God and I are in a conversation. I know, don't, I know, I hear from God. I know that sounds weird, but I guarantee you all of you can. (laughs) But when I'm talking with God and we're having a conversation, there's things that he'll tell me and say, I want you to write that down because I want you to go back and look at that. Or there's things he'll say, you know what? That's not meant to be uh, wrote down. That's just meant to be between you and me. Okay. See, here's an example just from my my personal life. At a period of time when I had fasted, I was fasting on Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 7. And for time-wise, you can go back and read that if you want to. But I was meditating on this, and as I meditated on this, my thoughts that came to mind that I wrote down was, is I have discovered that this whole section of Scripture is a powerful combination of heavenly muscle backed up by the skills of the Holy Spirit. I can envision Paul shouting to other followers of Jesus like a gentle general at war. Manifest your gentleness. Manifest the calm of Christ. In every war you encounter, I now see the amazing and genius connection between rejoicing and gentleness. Because we have a new outlook of God, we're able to celebrate in trial or in greatness. It can be as simple as you want or as complex as you want, but it's important that you spend time penning down the words of heaven that God gives you during this 40 day fast. Fasting not only deepens our sense of spiritual identity, but fasting perfects his power in us. That's a rough topic. You know, I'm coming to understand that there is a theme with God. He's not impressed with those who think they have it all together. I don't know about you, but if you read the same Bible I read, I look and see a whole bunch of mess-ups. I see a whole bunch of screw-ups. When I open up the Bible, I look and I see myself there. Another screw-up. I can relate with these guys. I think of guys like Moses. Moses, who was a stutterer, had no public speaking ability whatsoever. And he was a murderer. But God uses him to deliver a nation out of captivity. Can you imagine what he felt like going before Pharaoh? In the scriptures you read, it looks like, well, he didn't stutter one bit. Well, that's because they wrote it out. But can you imagine what it must have been like for Moses standing before Pharaoh? God, 
sent to free his people. And like, I can't imagine what on earth was going inside of him when he stood there and he stuttered before God and before Pharaoh. And God kept telling him over and over, Moses, you're going to be the key person to lead this people into freedom. And then just thinking that every time he would look down at his hands when he would grab his staff, that those very hands committed murder. Blood was spilt on those very hands. But why would God want to use me? I think of guys like David. David, who was a murderer. David, who was a sheep herder. David, who was a man whore. David, who was a lie and a cheat and an adulterer, but still in the scriptures we find that he was known as a man after God's own heart. He was a prophet. He was a king. He was a warrior. And God used him to write some of the most beautiful love songs that we can read back to Jesus and some of the most defining wisdom and encouragement that we could ever have. I think of guys like Paul, the once Christian assassin who was killing everybody in the name of God, who turned apostle, who turned theologian, ended up writing more than half of the New Testament. The one who says that I am the least, I am the most unworthy, I am the chief of all sinners. I think of guys like that. And here we're going to look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, because somewhere these guys understood how God perfects his power in our weakness. This is what Paul said. Now you have to understand that prior to this, Paul was dealing with an issue that he calls his thorn in his flesh. And he had been praying and he had been asking God to deliver him of this. So this is what he says. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Here, Paul creatively describes through metaphorical language that he has a deep-seated issue that he can't get rid of. If you read further up in the text, it talks about what he has done so far to get rid of that. So Paul seeks after God again, asking for that to be removed. And Paul receives an answer, a divine answer back from God, but it's not the one that he's looking for. Instead, the author of creation states that his enabling power is adequate for Paul in this situation. How many of you ever felt like that before? The world is crashing down on you in that moment. You feel you don't even have the goods, you don't have the skills, you don't have the gifts, and you have been asked to do something, you've been asked to carry something out, and you just look and say, there is no way possible at all for this. Lord, would you please deliver me from this situation? And when you quiet your heart, you hear that little chuckle, and then that sweet little whisper that says, Oh no, my grace and my power is enough to enable you for this. Here's the paradox. When we experience weakness in our flesh, he empowers us to stand. They say, what do you mean about empowering us to stand? Well, simply this, stand against two things. Number one is our flesh. Our flesh is this. It's this skin stuff. And what I mean by that is, is it's our desires that we battle against day in and day out. It's that encounter that we have with that cheeseburger at Burger King that we so want to do, but we have committed and said, you know what, for a season I'm going to give it up and make my body the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
It's that moment when you want that cigarette so bad because it tastes so good on your lips and just the rolling through your finger and the smell of that fresh light. And you say, no, I'm going to deny this because Jesus and I have had a conversation about this and we're going to work this out. That's what he enables you to stand against. But then he also enables us to stand against what we call the enemy, which is Satan. And he will always come to attack us. And so he enables us to stand. God's power is already perfect. That's what the scripture tells us. And when something is perfect, that means you don't have to add to it and you don't have to take away from it. The word in the Greek is called teleo. And it actually means to bring to a close, to finish, or past. And God tells us that you passed. In your weakness, I am made strong, so you passed. You have matured. And he wants us to know that our experience in his power is brought to maturity in voluntary weakness. Now just imagine this. Over the course of the next 40 days and what you choose to do after that and live that lifestyle afterwards, the power of God is going to be perfected in every single one of us if we so choose to embark on that fast. That means extraordinary power manifested through Christ. How many of you are looking for some of that? Mm-hmm. Turn to your neighbor and say, I've got to get me some. You see, a fasted lifestyle not only exposes our hearts and perfects his power, but fasting breaks spiritual bondages. Anthony, I want you to come up here a minute. I asked Anthony to come up here and assist me in this. Anthony, you come right up and stand by that stool. See, you've got to understand this, is that when we fast... <clears throat> Our problems don't automatically go away, okay? Just come right up here. I'm just going to set this here. You see, what happens, though, is God illuminates. I just want you to hold your hands out. Just trust me. What I want you to do is I want you to make sure, let's get another member from the audience up here, and we're just going to make sure these handcuffs are real. I'm just kidding. Okay, so what happens is, is our problem doesn't always disappear. But what happens is God gives us this full view, this big picture of what the end result is going to be. See, we all deal with bondages. Anthony, I want you to go ahead and go ahead and pick up that shirt, that, that one that's a button-up shirt. I want you to go ahead and try and put that on and then make sure it's just buttoned all the way up. Can you do that for me? All right, you just stand there and, and talk. And then my next trick will be... No, I'm just kidding. Um, so while he's working on that, I want to kind of explain to you. <laughs> you see, regardless of who we are... How's that going over there? Let me know if you need any help. Regardless of who we are, we all have some form of bondage. Anthony, are you okay? You're not hyperventilating, are you? Okay. All right, he's okay. We're, he's fine. Keep going, buddy. Um, so anyways, regardless of who we are, we all have some form of bondage. See, when we have bondages, we're limited. Like our friend Anthony here. How's that going? Uh, is that possible? No. Oh, it's impossible. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let me help you out there. All right. Wonderful. You see, here's the thing. When we're in bondage, we're limited. Hold your hands up. We all wear a pair of handcuffs. Every single one of us. I wear a pair of handcuffs. Everyone wears a pair of handcuffs. If anyone tells you that they are not experiencing some form of bondage or handcuffs or whatever, they're lying to you. Romans 3.23 says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have issues. We all have problems that we deal with. 
And that's why we call this thing called repentance and forgiveness, so that we can go to God, ask for forgiveness, and repent. See, Anthony could be here a while because he has no tools to cut this. He has no ability to wiggle his wrists out of here because I tightened them up for him. And what I could do if I really didn't care about Anthony is I could send him right back to his seat right now. And I could tell him that I uh, just forgot the key somewhere. But here's the beauty of our father. The beauty of our father looks at us and he doesn't go, you know, you're such an idiot. I told you not to play with this. But no, you just got to keep doing it more and more and just tightening those things up and bringing yourself pain. I tell you, you know, you thought my other nation that I freed would have gotten it, but no, more idols, got to throw those up. He doesn't do that. Because Christ came and said that I will free you from your bondages. I will give you breakthrough. And Christ came and he said, I have the keys to hell and Hades. And I have the keys to set you free. You just got to want it. You just got to ask for it. Thank you. Give him a big hand. You see, here's another paradox about fasting. Fasting is warfare. You know, I remember when I first started fasting, I thought it was going to be like the most romantic thing between me and Jesus. I was all excited. I was like, yeah, man, I, I'm going to like fast for seven days. And, man, it's going to be so good. Just me and JC. Yeah, you know, we're just, man, it's going to be great. Are you kidding me? It was warfare. I was battling against my flesh. I was battling my attitude. Because see, here's the, here's the paradox of this all. Even though we willingly submit and we willingly enter into voluntary weakness, that doesn't mean the enemy stops attacking and that doesn't mean God brings up issues before us. I'm scared for this 40-day fast. Because the Lord has been speaking to me about wounds of my heart. And he told me that when I enter into this fast, that he's going to deal with those wounds that are deep in me. He's been talking to me about wounds that I've carried against my family members for years that I never knew about that I suppressed. And I'm scared. Because it's going to be warfare. I'm scared because God is going to take me like a piece of meat and he's going to fillet me open and he is going to get to the heart of the issue that I have so suppressed for years and years and years. And it's going to hurt. And I'm really scared. And I know that I have nothing to run from. I have nothing to fear because I had been given prophetic words that I have nothing to fear and I know that. But in my flesh, I am scared. Because it's warfare and it's going to hurt. See, when we voluntarily fast, it creates an involuntary assault from the enemy. Our choosing a fasted lifestyle actually provokes and aggravates the enemy to attack us. We're in this place that he doesn't want us to be. And our bondage may break, but understand this, the war is still being fought. 
The war is still being fought. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12.10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, it's interesting as Paul goes through there and he mentions that he delights in weaknesses, that's involuntary. In assaults, involuntary. In persecutions, that's involuntary. Involuntary is you're getting something you didn't ask for. (laughs) It's like somebody walking up to you right after service and you're like, hey, how you doing? Boom, and they wallop you one right in the face. That's involuntary. You didn't ask for it. I want to encourage you this morning not to be afraid to enter into a fast. Whether it's one day or 40 days, don't run from the opportunity of invitation. Because see, fasting is not for the strong. It's not for those who have it all together. It's for the weak. It's for the frail. It's for the common. It's for us. Jesus encountered an amazing war when he entered into the desert for 40 days because he came face to face with Satan himself, literally in the flesh. And we see this recorded in Matthew 4, verses 3 through 10. And I'm not going to read it all right now, but I'm just going to give you an overview because it's something you should dig into in these next 40 days because there's a lot of transformation in there that can take place in our hearts. See, Jesus, when he entered into that 40-day fast and he came face to face, the devil tempted him in three areas. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. All that we deal with. And when he entered into that fast, he had the ability to overcome those three arenas. And when we choose to fast, we have a new strength and ability to overcome those arenas, to break off those bondages and set us free. Fasting enables us to disconnect from that which holds us in captivity. Disconnecting is when we're no longer dominated by the slave master called sin. And our identity is changed. Before I knew Jesus, I had a lot of issues. I still have issues. We all do. And I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying we have issues. Before I came to know Jesus, I had a lot of issues. And the only way that I could deal with them is to voluntarily submit to Christ and weaken myself from all of my skills, all of my passions, all of my giftings, where I had nothing left except total dependency upon him to deal with what I was dealing with. The next 40 days, starting on January 11th, is going to be that opportunity for all of us together to lay aside our giftings, to lay aside our passions, to lay aside our abilities and our skills, and to put ourselves before Christ, bare, just a bare naked heart before God, and just simply say, listen, I'm tired of doing it on my own. I'm tired of fighting the battle on my own. So here it is. Here I am. Do what you got to do. So my question to you is, are we ready to experience true strength? 
Are we ready to encounter the divine power that God has in store for us? Yes, voluntary weakness is a call to extravagant sacrifice. And if I told you that it was easy, I would be lying to you because it is hard. But it can be joyous. And fasting states that we're no longer driven by desire, but a discipline for Jesus Christ. In a moment, I'm going to end this time in a different way by showing you a video. When the video is done, that will be your formal dismissal. But at this moment, what I want to do is I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you will have a joy that you have never experienced, that you will have a perseverance, and that you will have a grace to enter into that fast that you need to enter into, whatever God chooses you to have into during this season. Following my prayer, there will be a video, and after the video, you're, you're dismissed. There will be no amen, there will be no worship, no nothing. You can just be free to go. So, Father, we thank you so much for this discipline that you have written in your text. Father, this lifestyle that you have demonstrated throughout the ages in those who call themselves followers of Christ. Lord, we don't expect to know every little detail about fasting during these next 40 days. But what we are expecting is that when we voluntarily weaken ourselves to you, that we have an encounter of Jesus in a way that we have never had before. Father, I pray right now over this congregation that they would have a joy beyond what any other joy can bring or they have ever experienced. That the joy of Christ would rest on their lips and on their hearts and on their minds during this 40-day period. I pray, Lord, as well, that you would release a grace on them to fast like they have never fasted before and a perseverance to endure the warfare of the flesh. I pray, God, that it would not be looked at as a matter of how many days I fasted, but that it would be looked at as how much time I got to spend with Jesus raw, untamed before him. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I really want to answer this call. Oh. And then after that, make a few texts, update my Facebook status, tweet about it. Shop for a deal on a new laptop. Write on my blog about the experience of shopping for a new laptop. Tweet about blogging about the experience of shopping for a new laptop. And even though my brain and my flesh are demanding that I play with this thing, I'm not. Not because it's bad. Not because I can't live without it. But I'm stepping back from this beautiful little piece of technology. I'm taking the time that I would have spent on that, and I'm spending it on my relationship with Christ instead. Yes, I'm talking about fasting. And I know what you're thinking. Why'd you have to go there? Isn't that a bit extreme? And I get it. I really do. But truth be told... If it was so important to Jesus, it's got to be important for us.
I mean, the dude didn't just fast. He went into the desert and slept with coyotes and snakes and, and didn't eat anything for 40 days. <laughs> I get agitated when my pillow gets lumpy. Can I just confess something to you? I am all about me, and I hate that. I want, I want to be all about Him. I want His will for my life. And if that means giving up a phone or a few meals, some TV, in order to get closer to the God of the universe who daily showers me with grace and love and holds me in his hands, <laughs> what a small price to pay. I, I'm ready to take the focus off of me.